0: talk about this subject this morning of together in Christ. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about giving. Last week, we talked about baptism, both spirit baptism, which places us into Christ, a supernatural act of God, where at the point of salvation, the Holy Spirit brings us into, into to Christ and, and fellowship with him. And then we also talked about water baptism, which is the... the um, uh, give me a second... Obedience that we have after our salvation to testify of Christ publicly through the, through the picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of christ, and so i 've just been covering a couple of topics about really the, the church and, and, and how we 're operating in different things it 's not going to be an exhaustive study, but it 's something to to uh, uh, look at as we then approach our study in Job coming up in a couple of weeks. And that's going to take a while, the study of Job. But today, what we're going to be talking about is together in Christ and really focusing on the church. And you, you heard uh, the scripture reading that we had out of 1 Corinthians 12, and I'll be reading for you out of Acts chapter 2 in just a moment. But as we think about this, this topic, if you were uh, a part of a literal physical body, in other words, if you were a body part and you functioned at the same level as you do in the church, would that physical body be able to function as intended? If you were part of a literal building, because we are called a building in Christ, would the structure be sound based upon your part in it? What I want us to do is use um, the same method of evaluation uh, that the writers used as we consider some different things. Um, you know, Think about it this way. Think about a different context. How would a coach of a sports team evaluate your service to the body of Christ as compared to being a part of a team? What if you're evaluated the same way you were at work or at school? Now, in all those questions, and I understand that that's some tough questions to start out with, but in all of those questions, what we need to understand is this. If we are a follower of Jesus Christ, we cannot forget that Christ will judge each of us in the future. So the what if isn't so much a what if, but it is a when, all right? Acts 2 which is what we're going to be turning to in just a moment, will give us both a measure by which we can evaluate as well as instructing how we can participate. All right? So here's my point. We're not going to leave ourselves to, oh, what, you know, how does all this work? I believe that there's a pattern in Scripture that we can look at, a a very good practical pattern. And that's what I want us to see today. Now, I also want to be careful to say this, and I, I want to be careful in a couple of different ways. One is, I'll say it, and then I'll give you the t- different aspects. The first, the, the, the thing is, I don't want us to look at our lives and assume, you're thinking I'm assuming, that no one's doing anything. Okay, that, that's not the case, okay, or that no one's doing enough or anything like that, but at the same time, sometimes what we can do is we can say, well, you know, I'm doing something, so I'm good, and That's not the way we should evaluate things. We should evaluate things based upon the word of God. So that's where we're going to be turning. And I want this to be not so much the super convicting time, but really more of an encouraging time of what is already taking place, but what we can see take place as a body of believers. Um, And I I think the perspective is quite unique. So uh, Acts um, 2 Starting in verse 37 is where we're going to be, Acts 2, 37. I don't hear too many people turning, so I think you already got there. That's good. All right. Now, last week we were in this text because we were talking about baptism. This week we're starting kind of sort of where we left off in here, but, but we're overlapping it so that we see that uh, Paul, uh, sorry, Peter preached the people responded in faith. And then we see what happens as a result. So we're going to start in verse 37, as he concluded his message. Okay. Now, when they heard this, this whole big message that we did not read this morning, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, repent And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, that you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, last week we saw that this was repent and be baptized because of the remission of your sins, okay? Based upon the remission of your sins. For the promise is to you and for your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, or encouraged them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And then those who gladly received his word, his word about the gospel, his word about the good news of Christ, were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they, this is those added souls, right? And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, all who believed... Let me just pause just for a moment. We're not going to speak about verse 43 this morning, because I believe that's primarily directed to outside of the church. Okay? So I, I just want you to know I'm not missing something when we go through this, all right? Verse 44... But we're going to go through three different aspects that you can see in your notes there that's going to help us break this down and explain what was happening in the very earliest part of the church. By the way, church simply means called-out ones. Okay, That's that's the the, the ecclesia, the the, the assembly, the called-out ones. And we have been called out of the world. We've been called into Christ, and we meet uh, because of that. And so the context... That we have here of the church. By context, I mean the physical setting of the early church. And we see that in Acts 2 46. And it says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Now let's talk about continuing in the temple because at first we might say to ourselves, wait a minute, these were Christians. What were they doing going to the temple? Well, first of all, the, the temple worship wasn't necessarily a daily experience for people, so we know that that was a little bit different just to begin with here. But think about it. There was no other established meeting place for the early church. And we need to remember that there were well over 3,000 followers of Christ at this point. And so the, the temple area, it had space. It was also what they were, where they were used to going. It would have been the natural, logical place to meet, and there wasn't this this so drastic divide. If you remember, um, there was even a point where this this was considered a, a part of Judaism, this 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 branch off, you know, of what we now call Christianity. Okay, because they were all Jews early on. So again, this would have been a natural, logical place to meet. But as the gospel spread, local churches were planted and often met in larger homes. We've talked about that in our recent past. But they eventually established local meeting places. This was possibly something that was patterned after the Jewish synagogue, because that's what the Jews did after they were scattered all over the world. They created these places to meet because they just couldn't physically get to Jerusalem all of the time. But a central meeting place... Uh, is common, really, in in all religious practices. So this is not something that's out of the ordinary, but the point is this. What we see here is they met, all met together at the temple. They all met together. It was a meeting place. The other thing that we see is that they continued in one another's homes. Continued in the temple, continued in one another's homes. They met together in smaller groups, and I don't know if that was, part was daily or not. It's hard to tell exactly, but it was on a regular occurrence. So they met at the temple, and then they met in smaller groups in one another's homes. So there's the two contexts that we have. Now, before we talk about this a little bit, what is this term when it says that they, they were breaking bread in their homes? The term grew from a basic food, the Jewish flatbread, right? Jewish flatbread was hard, and so they broke it. And as simply, that's where the term came from, breaking bread. Um, there are probably ties to the Jewish feasts. Particularly feasts that involved unleavened bread and these meals were often shared with extended family friends and even strangers And so this idea of breaking bread had the idea of being together and sharing a meal together So breaking bread Our equivalent would be having some type of meal together be like, you know, let's grab a bite or let's do lunch Right. Let's break bread. That was same idea So there's a question did this mean they celebrated the Lord's Supper? Because we know that part of the Lord's Supper, where we, where we celebrate the, the body and the blood of Christ being sacrificed for us, we, we have the bread that we uh, celebrate along with that, Okay, that, that represents the body of Christ. Some believe this is exclusively referring to observing the Lord's table or the Lord's Supper. Um, although the celebration undoubtedly took place, I'm not doubting that at all. Verse 46 says that they broke bread from house to house and ate their food with gladness. So we see here that it it is associated with really just a normal meal. So I'm going to choose not to spend a lot of time on this, but simply conclude from the context that the primary meaning is sharing a meal together in one another's homes. That's the primary meaning that I believe is here. They, they were together. It doesn't mean that they didn't celebrate the Lord's table on occasion. I'm sure they did, but this was early on. This was a, a very regular occurrence, possibly even daily. Now, we can take application uh, today from this. Uh, uh, um, an equivalent that we would have in our normal life would be hey, you know, let's meet together at the coffee shop or let's, let's you know, go out to a restaurant or something like that. But I don't believe that alternate locations completely replace the primary location of gathering together in two places here. The central place, which we now would call our local church building. This is not the church. This is where the church meets. But we call it the church because this is where we do meet, right? And in one another's homes, And it's a continual thing. It's something that is supposed to take place on a regular basis. So going and meeting here and there is all good but I believe these are the primary places that we have and we see evidence of both formal and informal times in the New Testament in these two locations. And So just keep that in mind as we look now at the context of the church. Where does the church meet? There's this might we even say more formal, organized, you know, time where we meet together as a a body of Christ. And then there are less formal times when we would meet together in one another's homes. All right? Now let's consider the content. The content. What was the substance of the church at that time? I don't mean content as in, you know, the old thing, you know, here's the church and here's the steeple and open the doors and see all the people. yeah, I understand that the content of the church is the people. But what we're talking about is what is the content of the people within the church? Okay, Well, there are several things that are talked about here. In, in, in Acts 2.42, right there within our context that we read, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. So they continued in doctrine this is one of the basic activities that they did this was the substance of what the church was about they continued in doctrine based upon the great commission we know that the apostles were to teach the new followers of jesus right he sent them out make disciples baptize them and what teaching them okay So that's a pattern that we're supposed to continue to carry, but ultimately, this is where the apostles started. So what is the source of their doctrine? They followed the apostles' doctrine. What's the source of their doctrine? A couple of passages for us to look at. John 14, verses 25 and 26 say this, These things I have spoken to you, Jesus speaking, while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. What's the source of the apostles' doctrine? Really, the question is, who? It's the Lord. But this was interesting. and I just, you know, sometimes you have people say, you know, the Trinity isn't in the Bible. The word Trinity isn't in the Bible. But what do we have represented right here? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. All working together. The three persons of the Trinity working together for what? For giving the apostles the doctrine that they would have. Another passage that has a similar feel to it is later on in John, John 16, 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he... The spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. Okay, let's pause. The spirit is to glorify the son. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Now check this out. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Perfect parallel as far as the Trinity is concerned with the first uh, passage that we read out of John. But look at what it says here. They will be guided in the truth by the Holy Spirit. So it's not just even going to be content, it's also going to be leading. It's all going to come from God. So we don't have these guys that are just saying, Yeah, I wonder what I'm going to teach them today, right? And maybe I'll just put a little twist on things, you know? that wasn't how it was. So as they continued the apostles' doctrine, ultimately it was the revelation of God Himself. It was it was the Word of God that came to them, that they were then teaching. So that, that's it's a pretty amazing thought as we think about that. So the source of doctrine is the Holy Spirit, who conveyed it directly from the Father and the Son. The apostles taught what they received and, and those who responded to the message of Christ in faith. Okay, That's who they taught it to. So now as we think about this, they continued doctrine. It was teaching, learning, and applying the truth. What else would it mean if they were continuing in the apostles' doctrine, if they were continuing in doctrine? Doctrine simply teaching, right? They continued just to hear what they had to say? No, the, the, the inference here is application. And What's interesting is the phrase continued steadfastly in all of these different things is one word in the Greek. In this context, it is extremely important and applies to every part of this content section. The phrase means to continue without interruption, and these are all continuing actions. But this first one, continuing in the apostles' doctrine, is what we're focusing on right now. So regarding doctrine, it certainly included listening to teaching, but the emphasis was on practice. Today we have those who God uses to instruct what he has already delivered to us. Of course, the New Testament was mainly the apostles that wrote that, right? Or through the guidance of the apostles. Those who teach today get their doctrines or teachings from the Word of God. And we are then to apply that teaching to our everyday lives. So, practically speaking, we should regularly evaluate our words and actions, our attitudes and motivations, and our values by comparing them to the Word of God, to the things that we hear. That is that continuing in. And then we live accordingly. This includes change. But right doctrine also prepares us to live a God-honoring life. In other words, if we're not heading the right direction in an area, if we're not living as we should be, or if there's just something that we need to to work on in the Lord, then we apply Scripture to it. But as we learn, as we are taught, and then live out the Scriptures, that's also going to prepare us for the things that we face in life. So it's a both and. It's working on what we already have going on, But it's it's guiding us as we live our lives out. So that's continued in doctrine. That was was what made up what the church was doing. The other thing that we see is they continued in fellowship. Now, many people are fans of Tolkien's The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings books and movies, and I might have some of this wrong because it's not like I went back and watched a movie to make sure all this was right, Okay. But one of those is called the Fellowship of the Ring. The original six members, plus a few extra hobbits thrown in for, you know, literary sake, right, um, uh, were all very different individuals with distinct personalities and diverse backgrounds. But their shared purpose of seeing that the Ring of Power was destroyed was what made them a fellowship. It was something that they had in common. Fans of a certain sport or musician, participants in a hobby or interest have common ground or fellowship around that subject, whatever it is. It is the same for followers of Christ. And these don't cheapen what I'm talking about. It just helps us to understand what I'm talking about. At our core, we have fellowship, we have community, we have a common bond based upon our faith in Christ. Fellowship is living out that common bond together. That's what it is. And then we see here that they, uh, I'm sorry, it's a cooperative partnership centered on Christ. And then we see that they continued in breaking bread. Now, we've already talked about that some, but this idea is that there was a social, relational, spiritual time together. I believe that it covered all those things. But let's talk about breaking of bread in practice. It simply means to spend time together over a meal. We often call the meals we share fellowships. I know we just talked about fellowship, and that's where it gets kind of confusing, right? But over the years, I've heard people being critical of that, saying, well, you know, it's not really fellowship. Uh, Now, again, like I said, I understand we're talking about breaking bread. Based upon our definition of fellowship, a tailgate party before a big game A business lunch meeting or a benefit dinner at the Toledo Museum of Art are all fellowship meals. They're all central, right? So the fellowship isn't necessarily what we're doing. We're breaking bread, but the fellowship is what brings us together, and they kind of mesh, right? Some of the most important times I've ever experienced, whether relational, emotional, or spiritual, have come while sharing a meal. I know your first glance is, yeah, I can tell. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is just being together in a natural setting, okay? And and this includes everything from talking theology over a box of pizza in my dorm room when I was in Bible college to simply having a lunch with Christian friends or going to a banquet where they were advocating for the unborn. In all those different situations, just like I named the, the... I don't want to say worldly as in bad, but, you know, the the world-based things, the same thing happens. There's this time where we get together, where we have a meal together, and and especially if you think about, you know, Eastern uh, um, cultural standards and different things like that, um, the meal was a very important and still is a very important aspect to their culture. Um, Families today... You know, meals together with our schedules kind of phrase a little bit, but I do believe that that's something that we are to be doing together as a body of believers. Now, we've already talked about the context, we've talked about the where, all together and in homes, right? So that they can both apply. But it's very important that we have these times of breaking bread social, relational, spiritual time together where we can, we can spend let me put it this way right now this is an important proclamational part of what we do as a body of believers you're hearing the word of God and yes at some point you're supposed to be applying it right? we also come and we worship together and we've done that we'll continue to do that But when we disperse, okay, it's still important for us to keep that connection. And some of these less formal times can be some of the greatest times that we can have to encourage one another because this this is not highly interactive in the sense that we're all talking together and, and, and doing life together. But this breaking bread idea is that doing life together as believers, all right? So we just need to keep that in mind. And then it said, the last aspect was, they continued in prayers. I think it's interesting that it says prayers, uh, not just prayer. I, I believe that two primary prayers that we have in the scriptures are intercession and adoration, if we can just call them that for sake of argument. Making requests on behalf of other people or ourselves, and prayers where we're simply giving praise to God, giving worship to God, whatever it might be. Now, there's also confession, but that's between ourselves and the Lord, right, in in prayer time. It could happen in a group, but that's probably not the one that we're, we're, we're dealing with here, all right? So as we think about these two primary ways, again, in context, that would be praying together as a body of believers. We gather together on Wednesday evenings. We pray on Sunday mornings. We can pray at other times as well. And also... Having times of prayer together when we meet together. Including that in our breaking of bread and our and our fellowship together, okay? Another thing we can do that kind of goes all this is we can just simply express our our great the great worth that we attribute to God. You know, there's 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 making requests, there's showing our gratitude and praise. And then there is just glorifying God with with speaking back to Him how we have observed who He is and recognizing His greatness and His wonder in different ways. And that's a beautiful thing to do together as a body of believers. So here we have the content. What were the most basic activities that the church was doing? What are we observing them doing in the very beginning of the church? Continuing in doctrine, continuing in fellowship, continuing in breaking bread, and continuing in prayers. What I want to go to next that I, that I want us to observe in this passage is um, being together in Christ in the culture of the church. The culture of the church. We're going to read together here. I'll, I'll read it for you. Acts 2, verses 44 through 47. Um, if I highlighted this, I'd be highlighting everything. So It says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. All right? So let, let me just say something from the very beginning here, just to kind of get it off the table. Um, I don't know how else to say this. False teachers love this passage, right? Let's bring everything in common together. Sell what you have. Let's, let's bring it into the storehouses of the Lord. When really he's, he's saying, I want to put that in my pocket. All right. We'll, we'll explain that a little bit more, but that, that's not what we're talking about here. And we'll, we'll get to that. But the first thing I want us to see as we're thinking about the culture, what was the environment Of the early church, first thing we see is unity. The meaning of together isn't that they were in one specific location, even though we've already talked about a single location for the church and then meeting in individual homes. The fact that Luke already said they gathered at the temple and met in one another's homes tells us that this is different. They they were together as far as their unity was concerned. OK, that kind of likens more to the idea of fellowship, of what brought them together. So so there was a unity among them. There was there was something that joined them all together and it also eliminated divisions that could possibly be there. Right. We also see charity. Charity. They sacrificially met the basic needs of their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And I mean, this is pretty radical, folks, when you look at what it says here, right? And we need to understand this was not a communal living situation. That's not what this is really saying. We're not talking about the wholesale selling and equal distribution of all their resources. That's not what took place. That's not what you read there. Luke described shared resources that were deliberately directed toward the needy now here we are at the very beginning of the church why do you suppose some of them might be needy in the church it's because they were believing in the christ they were following the messiah he was radical and for some homes for some people it would have been you're out you're cut you're done and they could have even been expelled from their household. So there were very drastic needs. We need to understand, the people who gave still retained ownership of what they chose to keep. Okay? They did not retain ownership of what they gave. But they retained ownership of what they chose to keep. We know that partly because a little bit later on in the context here, Barnabas decides that he's going to sell a piece of land and give the proceeds to the church for these very purposes. Well, he wouldn't have had to do that if that had already taken place, and this was a just everybody bring everything, and we're just going to kind of all live together, find some huge compound for 3,000 people. You see what I mean? It's It's not practical. Now, we live in a very prosperous society. So I believe that we need to apply these verses in principle. For example, someone in, I'm just using an example, someone in our church, they might have a need of a car, all right? Now, I'm not saying that we can, as a body of believers, completely, totally provide a brand-new vehicle for somebody and, and, and you know, outfit it and all that kind of stuff. That might not be the case, but giving toward it could be a possibility because in our society, a car is a need. If they live fairly far away from their job or happen to live where I live in Williston and want to eat groceries, you need a car, <laughs> right? It's just, unless, unless you're going to spend all day <laughs> going to the grocery store and back, right? So, so it's a necessity, and there are other necessities like that. So it might not just be purely food and clothing and shelter, but we need to, to think about those things in principle. And, and, and we do that as a body of believers, but we can also do that as individuals, as we see need. The most important thing is this, is that they were aware of one another. They were meeting each other's needs as they came up. Okay. Let's move on. This is kind of one of my favorite ones here. We won't spend a lot of time on it, but there was joy. They, they were happy. They served the Lord in gladness. The word here, um, uh, used in other places, it has more emphasis. When they gathered in homes, it, it, the idea is there was great gladness. They thoroughly enjoyed one another's company. Now, if we can just apply that to context for a moment... That means that we don't get up on a Sunday morning and go. Uh, uh, I can't sleep in this morning. I had to go to church. Uh, I hope he's not long this morning again. Right? Or we're having people over to the house. It's going to be so much work. What a chore. Hey, welcome to our house. (laughs) You see where I'm going? There's There's a mindset with these people. I don't think they were worried about the dusting. Right? There was a mindset that they were happy to be together. They were extremely happy to be together. It was a joyous occasion just to be in one another's company, and I think that that needs to resonate with us. Again, not that it doesn't. I said that earlier, but we need to apply. We need to learn. These are things they're continuing in. Then we have the idea of what's called simplicity or sincerity. Some have a more specific take on this word that it means honesty, but the, the best way to describe simplicity or, or, or sincerity is a lack of anything that would corrupt the relationship okay i, I don't think it's a matter of honest or dishonest i i, I think it's just you know they, they were very straightforward with one another there there, there was there was a uh, you could count on one another there, there there weren't agendas or questioning of motives there was no jockeying for position or playing favorites There was no one being offensive or being easily offended. No attention seeking, gossip, or slandering. Instead, there was love, acceptance, cooperation, and serving one another. That's what we see. So it was simple, not that there weren't complex things to be concerned about, but it was simple as far as focus. There was a sincerity. There was a a lack of any type of corruption to their relationship. Folks, that sounds like a wonderful church, doesn't it? It really does. And then we see that there was also an aspect of worship. The setting here isn't formal. This is talking about from house to house primarily. So it's not a formal worship service, although I think that that's necessary. But part of their time together included praise directed to the Lord. In this description of the early church, praise to God, takes place while spending intentional, sincere, joyful time together. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Getting together with other believers fulfills a number of purposes, including encouragement, support, sometimes advising, getting to know one another better, or simply being together. When God's people spend time together, we have the opportunity to testify of our appreciation and give praise to God. And folks, it happens. Whether we're having a fellowship after a Sunday morning or whether in one another's homes, I've witnessed it, I've experienced it. You probably have too. It's kind of a natural outgrowth. You start talking about things and yeah, you can talking about less serious things here and there or you can be talking about your upcoming vacations or whatever. But but man, it's just inevitable that, that things roll around to spiritual uh, uh, subjects and suddenly you're talking about how God has been so good, right? The last thing we see here is integrity. Now, the only quality that is related to This is the only quality that is related to outside of the church. Because what does it say? It it says says that it was an observation from those outside. This requires living for Christ within the greater culture. I, I think that the understanding is when we look at all these other things, there was integrity with one another. But the world saw the integrity of these people. In our world, we cannot be worrying ourselves about what this church is doing or what that denomination stands for or how another believer or even a professing Christian who may not even be lives out their faith. We can't be concerned about that. We say that we believe in the sovereignty of God. That's great. That's wonderful. I, I commend us for that. But let's put our faith in action, trusting that the Lord is actively using us individually and collectively to fulfill his plans that he brings people into our lives for his purposes. Now, let me just summarize that in a somewhat fewer words here. We can't worry about everybody else. We need to make sure that we're the kind of people, both personally and collectively as a church, so that people know who Jesus is. So that we are living a life that is not counter to, but is in conjunction with the Word of God, being led by the Holy Spirit. So our responsibility as an individual believer and as a collective local assembly is to live with integrity. Now, How do we make some application here? First off, this was an extremely unique time in the history of the church. We need to understand that. The next time believers will experience something like this on earth will be the millennial kingdom of God. I mean, that's that's what it's going to be. When Christ reigns is the next time we're really going to experience something exactly like this. And unfortunately, we do know that negative things very quickly began to creep into the church that challenged how things began. I mentioned to you about the gift that Barnabas gave of land. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, they thought that was a good idea too, except right, through pride and a desire for recognition and hypocrisy, They sold their land, gave a portion of that to the church, and then said, we've given it all. And what did Peter say? It was yours, which then goes back to this whole communal living. No, it was yours. You could have kept what you wanted. You could have sold what you wanted. You could do whatever you want to do with it. But you claimed that you gave it all to the Lord. So right from the very beginning, sometimes we wonder, man, why was that punishment so harsh? It's because of what was going on here, right? But here's the point. It was already starting to creep in. Think about it. Most of the rest of the New Testament is reeling people back from false things that crept into the church. Whether it be sinful error or theological error, whatever it might be. So with that said, then, what is the application? This is merely an ideal that God put in the Bible? This passage has no real meaning for us today? Like, we can't really achieve this? It has no bearing on our lives as a church? Is, would that be the case? That can't be right. That cannot be the case. Because we're dealing with Scripture. And we're dealing with the very beginning of the church. So then, how do we cultivate and maintain the experience of the early church? An easy and accurate answer is to follow the pattern set for us in Acts 2, right? That's the easy way to say it. But let's work through a few things relevant to our culture. First, and, and when I say culture, I'm talking about how we live, okay? Not what's going on out there, but how we live. First thing we need to do is just refresh ourselves as far as what we're talking about, okay? The context, the content, and the culture of the church. The context, meeting at church and in homes. That's the easy one. Content. Uh, the content here is big, right? And we're, I'm just going to summarize. We're talking about continuing in doctrine, continuing in fellowship, that partnership that we have together, breaking of bread, having meals together, spending time together, and prayers. So, kind of saying that again, doctrine, uh, continuing doctrine, continuing in a cooperative, Christ centered partnership, spending time together, and praying together. Those Those are the areas of content. And then, when we think of culture unity charity joy simplicity worship and integrity so then as we're thinking about this and we make and, and we and we honestly evaluate ourselves we have to ask some questions do you prioritize being with the people of god is that a high priority for you in your life do you practice the core principles of the church Continuing in the things that we're talking about here? Do you faithfully contribute to the biblical culture of the church? In other words, are you a part of unity and caring for one another's needs and worship, etc.? Now, I said, make a brutally honest evaluation of ourselves, looking at the Word of God and saying, Is my life being led so that I continue in these things, both together as a body of believers and in my home? After that possibly brutal evaluation, which again, I don't assume that that's necessarily the case, but... The idea of brutal is I'm, I'm going to include everything. I'm going I'm to look at everything. It doesn't mean there's going to be a bad experience, but it's going to be white knuckle. Get after it. Do it. So after that evaluation, radically change how we manage our lives, especially our resources, which is our time, our talents, and our treasures. If you think about it, what's reflected in the content and the culture and even the context. It's giving of our time, it's giving our abilities, and it's giving of our resources, whatever they might be. But I want us to understand a couple of things. As we're doing this evaluation, we need to make specific, realistic goals and plans. Um, I've, I've said this before to, to groups Sometimes we would go to camp, and I think camp is a wonderful thing, and, and we promote camp big time. But, you know, there were times when we would get together, and we used to have what at, at our camp, we had a campfire, and sometimes you'd hear the same kids give the same testimony year after year. Yeah, camp was great last year, and then I went home, and I lived like the world, and I feel bad now again, so I'm going to give a testimony. You know, that's not how it's supposed to work. We're supposed to see, you know, it's not going to be like, Right? but the growth trajectory is supposed to be there. It's not supposed to be, yeah, camp was great, and I lived for the Lord for six and a half days, right? And then I wait, well, it's the same thing for us. Boy, church was great this morning. Uh, I might think about God partly maybe through the week, but man, Sunday comes along and I'm in again. That's not what we're talking about either, right? So I'm only using that as an example. So here's the point. Making a decision means nothing in reality. We can decide to do a lot of things. We have to actually do it. Make a specific, realistic goal or plan. Also, do not be overwhelmed. Can I, can I just say this? Sometimes I think that those who are... Um, Serving the most can be most brutal to themselves? I'm not doing enough. You know what I mean? i, I got to be able to do something else. Be wise through this process and endure through this process. Be wise by saying, yes, there are limits. Now, hear what I'm saying. Christ, in his physical form, had limits. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He got tired. He only had 24 hours. So be wise through the process, but also endure through the process. What do I mean by that? We can start off by by looking at our lives and saying, you know what? Yeah, I need to work on that. And boom, we hit that one thing. And we're like, okay, we're good. But there might be some other things that we need to work on, we need to improve on, we need to grow in. We need to continue in. And so endure through the process. This isn't a Sunday afternoon, have a little conversation and move on. Because that's not what these people did. And we might look at that and say, boy, you know what? I, I have things coming to my mind that, boy, you know, I'm locked in right now. That's part of that endurance process. Some of these things are going to have to take some time to get fixed because we have our resources, our time, our talents, and our treasures invested in possibly so many other things that we can't do some of these things, boom, just, just on a turn of a dime, right? We, we can't. But we need to be moving back toward this. This is the core of what the church is supposed to be all about. All right? Now, I'm going a little long today. I understand that. Big topic. I apologize. But I just want to say this. All right? And we're going to end here. As we're looking at all this, we need to go back to Acts chapter 2. We've already said we evaluate by the word of God. It's not just Acts 2. It's the whole counsel of God. That's where our evaluation is, and that's how we determine whether or not heart-wise and as far as our practice, whether or not we're right before God. Not what somebody else thinks, ultimately, but what the Word of God says. Right? So we've got that settled. We also go to the Word of God to see why. Why would we do that? Why would we make sure that we are in the right context that our content is continuing and that we are a part of and contributing to this culture within the church why would we do all that because of the benefit that we see from it the meeting of one another's needs folks do you i mean come on almost everybody in here has either well all of us have been in relationships where things get wonky okay whether it's an office setting or with family, or with friends. Even some of the youngest among us, we've had some weird things happen where friends play each other against each other and different things like that, right? You've had it happen as kids? Here's the point. That's not supposed to happen here. Because we develop a culture where we are sincere with one another. Where there isn't this game that we're playing with one another. Right? And so when we come here, we know that this is what? It's a safe place. That doesn't mean, there's there's things called, you know, even rebuke in here, okay? In the scriptures. But what I'm trying to say is this, is that when we come here, we know where we're at. We know why we're here. We understand the culture. We're contributing to it. And as we all contribute to that, this is a safe place for a believer to come and be encouraged this is a welcoming warm place where we can freely talk among ourselves where we can share our needs where we can share our praises and all these different things that we're talking about we need that we need that because there isn't anything about the world that is for us now, I'm not saying, you know, there, there aren't things that, that we can go and enjoy and things like that. I'm, I'm not saying, okay, okay, the Toledo Zoo is some satanic <laughs> temple. That's not what I'm saying. It's, it's, it, that's neutral. But I'm talking about the world system. The world system is not for us. So we can't go there for what we need. We have to come here for what we need. Let me give you just a brief. I'm not trying to make this a political thing. I'm just saying that somebody said a really cool thing one time. Ronald Reagan once said that this is it. This is the last bastion of real, what, freedom. Everybody's trying to come here. We're not leaving to go find freedom. People are coming here for freedom. So if, if it fails here, there's no other island of freedom that we can then go to. I realize I'm paraphrasing. You might be able to go across town and find a church that is doing this. My point is, why? If we're doing it here. We are the ones who are together. We are the ones who are committed to one another And we need to make sure that we are living this out in context with the content that we need, developing and maintaining the culture that we are to have so that we want to be together, so that when we need each other, we are there, and so that we are ultimately honoring Christ through all of it. So the motivation isn't, okay, what do I have to give up? The, motiv- the motivation is, realistically, what am I gaining by, yes, what I give up? Is the person next to me in the pew, is the person across the church worth that? And the better question is, is Christ my Savior worth that? This is what the church is called to do. This is what they experienced right after they said, what do we do? What do we do? This is what they did. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do have the freedom as a body of believers that you've given to us to govern ourselves in a certain way, to to um, determine, uh, for example, who our mini- missionaries are and, and the programs that we have in our church. And those are all good. But Lord, they've got to come from this core. We know that. Heavenly Father, our activities, we know, need to come from the ultimate core of knowing you as Savior. And if there's someone here who does not know you as Savior, we know that they are not a part of the body of Christ because the Holy Spirit has not brought them into fellowship with Christ. So I pray, Lord, that you would even work in their lives today. But Father, I pray that we would understand that your word is not just theory that it's not just this grand ideal. There were a group of people, and I'm sure that there have been other groups of people that have lived this out. And Father, I pray that your spirit will work in our lives or we will crave to do this. And, and, and let me, Lord, as I'm leading these folks in prayer, as we're talking to you, pause and say, continue to do this. It's not absent. But Lord, I pray that each person that we would all evaluate ourselves according to your word, according to your spirit guiding and leading in us. And that we would respond in faith, in obedience, to how you want us to live, both corporately and in our homes, as we meet together. You made all this possible. You gave us life. And you gave us life together. Lord, I pray that we will make the very best of that life together. And yes, for our benefit too, but for your glory. That we would continue to work on a culture here that would pattern ourselves after those first believers who were just living life for you. A lot of complicated things come into our life. But Lord, if we keep the right things and the right perspective, we know that together we can work through those things. We can help one another do that. We can be that island in this worldly storm. We can truly love, sacrificially love one another. And I pray that as we do that, that again, praise and worship will be directed to you. For all that you do, in Jesus' name, amen.